As I mentioned earlier, this afternoon we'll be examining Lord's Day 33 together. Let's read that now. Lord's Day 33. What is the true repentance or conversion of man? It is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. What is the dying of the old nature? It is to grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin and more and more to hate it and flee from it. What is the coming to life of the new nature? It is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. But what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith in accordance with the law of God and to his glory and not those based on our own opinion or on precepts of men. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you heard of the term cancel culture? We live in a digital age when people can become celebrities almost overnight. And when someone becomes famous, everything they, they say and they do it comes under the microscope. People dig through their old social media posts. Paparazzi follow them around with cameras everywhere. And every so often, someone discovers something, some little dirt about a celebrity. Perhaps it's an old tweet or a line spoken in front of a hidden camera. And that, that, that's something that doesn't line up with the current politically correct culture. If this news is bad enough, the celebrity gets canceled. People stop watching their films following them on YouTube, or are going to concerts. But there's a catch. Sometimes the celebrity acts quickly to release an apology and perhaps give a donation to a good cause. And then they recover some of their public image. But is this apology sincere? Is this donation a sign of heartfelt repentance, or is it just damage control? Sometimes, it seems like damage control. The repentance that God requires of us, on the other hand, cannot be motivated by damage control. As Lord's Day 33 teaches, true repentance before God must come from the heart. In Psalm 51, we read of King David's repentance when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And this afternoon, we'll look at Psalm 51 as a window into what repentance looks like in the life of a believer. We'll see the good news that lies at the heart of all true repentance. The victory of our Lord Jesus Christ over sin and death 
and the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. That brings us to our our theme for this afternoon's sermon. Life in Christ is marked by heartfelt repentance. This repentance is twofold. First of all, it's heartfelt sorrow that hates sin. And secondly, heartfelt joy that loves good works. So first of all, heartfelt sorrow that hates sin. Last week, with Lord's Day 32, we entered the third part of the catechism, our thankfulness. In the first two parts, we've learned of our our sins and misery, and then our deliverance through our Lord Jesus Christ. So in Lord's Day 33, it's important to know that we're speaking about those who are already justified, who know that they are righteous before God. And then from this foundation, Lord's Day 33 teaches about those who are justified, how, sorry, how those who are justified are to live in thankfulness by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we call this sanctification. Psalm 51 gives a picture of how a believer repents of their sin before God. And we know that King David truly was a believer. He's even called a man after God's own heart. But he still falls into sin. In the grand scheme of David's life, his sin with Bathsheba seems to to happen at a surprising point, doesn't it? It's only after he has become king over all Israel. After the Lord has made the incredible promise to him that his throne would be established forever. The Lord has been so gracious to David, and David loves the Lord, but he still falls into sin. David's example illustrates for us that the Christian life of sanctification, of becoming more holy, it's a process. In Lord's Day 33, we confess that true repentance is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. It's not the death of the old nature and the life of the new nature, but the dying and coming to life. In God's sovereign plan, the believer is equipped by the Holy Spirit to fight against sinful desires and to serve God faithfully. But this process, it doesn't reach perfection all at at once, as much as we might like it to. In fact, Not only does David sin, but he doesn't even repent of his sin with Bathsheba until the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to him. David knew the Lord, and yet he was blinded by sin. When the other men around him had gone to war, he fell to lust and adultery, which then spiraled into a plan to deceive Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, and then when that plan failed, to murder him. So David is a child of God, but he's far from perfect. And there's a warning here for us, brothers and sisters. Even as believers, we must be on guard against the sinful desires of our old nature. If David was blind to his sin, we must recognize that the same danger faces us. Are there areas of your life that you don't bring before the Lord? 
perhaps unconsciously, avoiding them in prayer out of habit. We must build up practices of purity to guard against temptation, lay all of our lives before the Lord, and seek to hear God's word often so that any blinding sins in us are brought to light. Lord's Day 33 explains the dying of the old nature in strong language. It is to grieve with heartfelt sorrow. We certainly see evidence of David's heartfelt sorrow in Psalm 51. Did you notice his attention to matters of the heart? Inward being, secret heart, verse 6, clean heart and right spirit, verse 10, willing spirit, verse 12, and so on. David is pouring out his heart before the Lord. He holds nothing back. He hides nothing from God. His heart is full of sorrow. These might be words on a page, but we can almost hear his grief, can't we? For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. His conscience constantly accuses him. He speaks of the bones that you have broken, and a broken and contrite heart. Literally, the text reads, crushed heart. David's heart is crushed by grief for his sin. Well, what's the reason for that heartfelt sorrow? Lord's Day 51, sorry, Lord's Day 33 explains, it comes from the fact that we have offended God by our sin. In Psalm 51, David's sorrow, it doesn't come from the painful consequences of his sin, although they were pretty heavy. They included the death of his son with Bathsheba. No, it comes from the realization that he had offended his God. He confesses this clearly. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David knows against whom he has sinned. And he turns immediately to that one, the Lord. Psalm 51 begins, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. There's no beating around the bush. David's sin grieves his heart because he has grieved God's heart. And so he applies, he appeals directly to God's own heart. The same is true about our sin, beloved of the Lord. When we sin, we replace what should be in our hearts, that's love for God and his law, with what should not be in our hearts, that's love for ourselves and the sinful desires of our old nature. Since our God loves us perfectly, it grieves him when we do not love him perfectly. This recognition, it must cut us to the heart and lead us to lay our hearts before him, seeking the mercy and the steadfast love of his own heart. So David is grieved by his sin, and he wants to put as much distance between it and himself as possible to be completely free of it. In the process of fleeing his sin, he runs to the face of his God. In verse 9, he prays, Hide your face from my sins. 
Now, since our God sees everything, of course, he also sees David's sin. But David asks that God turn his face away from those sins. And then in verse 11, he prays, cast me not away from your presence. The text literally says something like, cast me not away from before your face. David does not want his sin to remain before God's face because that would bring condemnation. But he himself, he wants to remain in God's presence because that means continued communion with him. And we can see the earnest nature of David's prayer in the ways that he asks God to forgive him. Twice he asks God to blot out his sins. He pictures a book with a list of sins that God can blot out as if with white out. He asks God to to wash and to cleanse him, to purge him with hyssop. In the Old Testament, God had commanded the use of hyssop, a plant, to sprinkle water or blood over certain things in order to make them clean. And in God's gracious plan, he had ordained a way for David to be washed whiter than snow, to be purged with hyssop. And that's through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, David's own descendant, who took upon himself David's uncleanness and made him clean. And when we grieve our sin, coming before the Lord in heartfelt confession, he cleanses us in the exact same way. And not only does he cleanse us, but he now sits at God's right hand, making intercession for those who draw near to God through him. And the Lord Jesus not only cleanses us from our sin, but he also brought an end to sin's power over us. In Romans 6, verse 10, which we read, I'll read that again. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Romans 6 also teaches us that whatever is gained from Christ's work applies to us spiritually. Verse 4, we were buried with him by baptism into death. Verse 5, we have been united with him in a death like his. Verse 11, we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. With him, with him, in Christ Jesus. As believers, we have union with Christ by the Holy Spirit. And because of this union, we share in Christ's burial, his death, and his resurrection, including all the benefits that he won in the process. This means, brothers and sisters, and this is a bit difficult to understand, but we do so by faith. This means that when we're united with him, the benefits that Christ won by his physical death and resurrection, they belong to us spiritually. In Romans 6, verse 6 to 7, Paul writes, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So because because we're united with Christ, 
The power of sin no longer has any claim on us. And death no longer has any dominion over us. For this reason, Paul continues, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You might be thinking, yes, yes, we're, we're united with Christ by his spirit. But why do we fall back into sin so often? Why do we still feel the misery of this life? And that's a tough question, brothers and sisters. But there's a great answer. Although we belong to Christ, our life on earth is still plagued by the brokenness of our old nature. So until we die physically, we will continue to fight against our old nature. We must continue putting it to death. As we saw earlier, dying and coming to life is a process. But take heart. We may fight battles and fight them hard. But in Christ, the war is won. We are not slaves to sin. We are slaves of God. By the power of his Holy Spirit, we are renewed and equipped to say no to the sinful desires that cling to us. How can we who die to sin still live in it? This is loaded with meaning for our day-to-day -day lives. If you are like David and you're home alone and you feel lust creeping into your heart, know that you have been liberated from its power by the Lord Jesus Christ. You belong, body and soul, to Jesus Christ. Sin may tempt you, but it does not control you. And this is true not only of lust, but we can almost insert, we can insert any other sin here. Anger, envy, pride, and so on. Romans 6 verse 13 says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Our old master, sin, he no longer enslaves us. We must not give our bodies any longer to our old master. That's not only foolish and blind, but it brings offense and grief to our new master. As Lord's Day 33 summarizes, hate it and flee from it. Sin is like a black hole. If you fall into its gravitational pull, it draws you in, into its nothingness. Flee from that towards the Lord. And take comfort, brothers and sisters. Do you grieve with heartfelt sorrow that you have offended God by your sin? Then be assured that the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart. If you experience sorrow for sin, then the Holy Spirit, he will equip you more and more to hate it and to flee from it. If God has begun a good work in you, he will bring it to completion. And that brings us to our second point. Heartfelt joy that loves good works. Now Psalm 51 clearly shows us David's heartfelt sorrow. 
We've seen a lot of that. But considering that there's so much sorrow, there's also a surprising amount of hopeful language, isn't there? How could David sing and pray with such confidence in God's forgiveness? Lord's Day 33 explains the coming to life of the new nature. It is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ. So in the depths of David's sorrow, there's also reason for so much joy. As we saw earlier, David is a child of God. He knows the Lord's salvation. So when he sins, he does not despair. But in humble confession, he trusts that the Lord will restore him to joy. Heartfelt sorrow and the dying of the old nature, it can't be separated from heartfelt joy and the coming to life of the new. And once again, David recognizes the importance of transformation at the heart level. Verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. If he is to return to the faithful service of the Lord, David needs more than just forgiveness. He also needs the Lord to create in him a clean heart and to renew a right spirit. He goes on, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now we can contrast King David with King Saul. In 1 Samuel 16, we read that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. David had seen Saul's downfall, and the Lord himself had told him that he had taken his steadfast love from Saul. In Psalm 51, after David's adultery with Bathsheba, he certainly deserves no different, does he? Well, if the Lord had taken his Holy Spirit away from David, he would have been left in his sin and his temptations. Like us, David's heart was hopelessly lost in sin, apart from God's intervention. In verse 5, he confesses his guilt of original sin, broken human nature. We read, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. In verse 3, he confesses his guilt of actual sins, sins that he personally had committed. We read, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. So all along, it was the Holy Spirit that was the source of David's obedience to God. And, and God did not take his spirit from his child. Because even as David said the words of this psalm, it was the Holy Spirit working in him true repentance. When David prayed for renewal and for the continued presence of the Holy Spirit, he does so from an Old Testament perspective. In the New Testament, God has more clearly revealed to his people this beautiful process of renewal. Colossians 3 teaches that, and I quote, you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. In Romans 6, we learn that because we are united with our Lord in his death, the sinful desires of our old nature 
have lost their dominion over us. In this life, we battle against those sinful desires to put them to death. But now in Colossians 3, we also see that our union with Christ, it grants us a new nature spiritually, which is being renewed. It's in the process of being renewed. Because of Christ's resurrection, Romans 6 says, we too might walk in newness of life. And this, again, is, is a process. Over the course of our earthly lives, as the Holy Spirit works in us and we walk in God's ways, this new nature comes to life more and more. God has poured out his Holy Spirit richly upon his people in the New Testament. And we can be sure that he does renew a right spirit within us. In Psalm 51, again, David's repentant faith, it looks forward and it sees joy on the horizon. In verse 8, he prays, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. He trusts that the Lord would forgive him and he eagerly longs for it. In verse 12, he prays, restore to me the joy of your salvation. He has already experienced the joy of God's salvation. Remember, he is redeemed. He is a child of God. And now he prays for God to return him to that same joy, to the joy of one who is redeemed. Brothers and sisters, the same Holy Spirit works in our hearts. If your sorrow for sin is heartfelt, if it grieves you that you have offended God, you can pray David's prayer with confidence. If your sorrow for sin is heartfelt, you can eagerly anticipate and expect heartfelt joy in God through Christ. The two simply go hand in hand. In Lord's Day 33, we confess that the coming to life of the new nature, it's not only a state of joy, but it also affects how we live day to day. If the Lord has rescued you from your sin and granted you new life in him, you'll be thankful. And you'll show that in how you live. The Catechism teaches that this way of life is a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. Back in Psalm 51, we see that as David turns away from his sin and finds joy in his renewed relationship with the Lord, he wants to live for God. He expresses this clearly. I will teach transgressors your ways. My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. My mouth will declare your praise. For David, joy doesn't sit still. Joy tells other sinners about God's ways. It sings of his righteousness. It declares his praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. There seems to be a long period of time between when David committed adultery with Bathsheba and when the prophet Nathan came to him. During this time, it's likely that he continued to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings to God. But God would not delight in those sacrifices because they were made from an unrepentant heart. 
In verse 17, David explains, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In David's case, it was no use to offer sacrifices if he had not yet properly humbled his heart. And this ought to make us check our own hearts, brothers and sisters. How do you live your life in relation to God? Do you just seek to to tick the boxes on the list of what you think God wants from you? We give tithes and offerings. We sacrifice our time to, to mow the lawn for our neighbor and to volunteer at the plant stand. And these are beautiful things. But why do you do them? Have you taken time lately to reflect on the reason for what may have become routine things in your life? Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus has perfectly fulfilled the law of God for us. There is no reason to check boxes to try meet God's approval because in Christ, we are no longer under law, but we're under grace. So the motivation of our hearts must be thankfulness to God. And the incredible thing is, God does delight in right sacrifices from his children. In Psalm 51, verse 19, David says, Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. And in the same way that he delighted in right sacrifices in the Old Testament, God delights when we offer our lives to him as a living sacrifice. In Romans 12, Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What does that mean? It means that out of genuine thankfulness for his redeeming and renewing work in our lives, we strive to live in holiness to God's glory. That kind of life loves and delights to do good works, and it brings delight to our God. Brothers and sisters, our good works flow forth from our heartfelt joy in God through Christ. Joy does not sit still. Joy acts. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord equips us to joyfully present ourselves as living sacrifices that are holy and acceptable to him. Congregation, the ways of cancel culture contrast with true repentance. Cancel culture adores celebrities one moment and then ignores them the next. Cancel culture leads celebrities to apologize quickly with only a show of emotion. But in Lord's Day 33, we see what heartfelt repentance looks like in the life of a believer. And we see that a gracious God, we see that we serve a gracious God. He freely grants his Holy Spirit to lead believers to heartfelt sorrow. He freely grants forgiveness in Christ to those who grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended him. And by his Holy Spirit, he equips the believer with heartfelt joy that loves good works. 
Does it still grieve you that your old nature clings to you so closely? Lift up your eyes, brothers and sisters, because our repentance points forward beyond the struggle of sin, beyond the struggle of this life. One day, the dying of the old nature will be completed. One day, we shall perfectly live in the new nature. One day, heartfelt sorrow will be no more, and we shall forever experience heartfelt joy in God through Christ, overflowing with good works. Amen. Let us now respond to this good news with, with heartfelt joy. Let's sing together from hymn 81, the verses 1 through 7. <clears throat> 